Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. Short turnaround this week. We are getting on a tournament schedule here. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined, as always, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good. I'm very good. We're just giving the people what they want, man. They've been clamoring. They've been banging. They've, they've been They've been just, I mean, they've been unruly, frankly. Should we take that as semi-flattering? Or, I mean, I've never really... You tell me thousands of people listen to this or it gets thousands of listens, but I just think it's like four people. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the same four people just listening to it over and over again. That would be even even weirder. What what um, if you found out that all of the subscribers to Bro were like five people who just like signed up under various different names um, with various credit card numbers and they're just talking to themselves all day? That that would be so cool. And I'd be so forever grateful. It'd be a better explanation that like five people are experiencing that level of psychosis than like the low level of psychosis that we all are just like following sports this intensely. Um, it might, uh, replace um your doubt about human nature <laughs> yeah no it would be something it would be it, it might improve that it would really no, change not, a worldview hey 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 our guys at Bruin report online they it's so funny they have now ventured out to other other forums of other schools and they come back and say holy crap what a dumpster fire that is over there and it's for a couple of reasons first we do um, happen to moderate our board, I think, very effectively. And we've been doing it for a long time. And shout out to our moderators, um, especially our guy, God, I almost said his real name, um, Caleb Bruin. Um, he, does a great, he does a great job. He, he truly does. Um, but also, it's, a, it's kind of a testament to UCLA fans. I, I don't think they could ever be as unruly or... Uh, for lack of a word uh, for what I really want to say, uncivil is like, you know, Ohio State fans threatening the life of a basketball player for missing a free throw. Um, so uh, I, I think it's I think we've created a great little community there, Dave. I agree. I agree. And it's uh, it's been wonderful seeing them all so happy this oh last uh, these last few days. It's so nice. It's great. <laughs> Everyone seems very positive. Look, it, it's been so positive that um, the game thread yesterday, I don't know if you jumped in at any point, but I there don't... was, they were so obviously looking for something to like fight about and get contentious about that they spent, and I'm not kidding. Do you remember the block charge call on Cody Riley? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Halfway through like the first 10 minutes of the game, something like that. Yeah, yeah. There were posts up to an hour later, back and forth, arguing about whether it was a block or whether it should have been a charge for an hour in the game thread to the point where and, I'm like, hey, guys, you know, they're beating this team by like 20. Uh, that that call an hour ago doesn't matter. And I'm going to ban whoever continues this conversation any longer <laughs> because, look, we got to keep our eye on the ball. We all do. We all got to focus here. We all got to focus we got to show commitment. We got to show togetherness because that's uh, that's that's what the team is displaying. But how different is it? Just you know, you, you kind of for you kind of forget what real life should be like because we've been doing this. 
I, I know we've talked about this, and you bring up 20 years of UCLA sports, but <clears throat> most immediately, the last five years, <coughs> excuse me, um, of UCLA football not having a winning season, UCLA basketball coming back from Steve Alford, and just the general, what would you call it? Malay? Malays? Malays. 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 And downright orneriness yeah. of UCLA fans that we've had to deal with. We could say anything and they'll they'll get kind of pissed off no matter what we say. It's you after tolerating it and carrying that burden for so long, you don't really realize what it is until like someone that uh, a program breaks through a bit like it did and you see the forum and you walk away from the forum. You can actually walk away and not be in a bad mood because you didn't get insulted. Um, that was fun. You just got a message. Uh, yeah. You know, like text. Yeah. 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 Um, and you don't have to worry that the forum is going to, exp- uh, you know, just implode on itself. Like your wife turns to you and says, wow, <laughs> now I really see how this affects your personality. Yeah. So yeah. that's good. That's yeah. all good. Thank you all out there for, you know, just being happy for a day. Yeah. I appreciate it. We love it. Um, so UCLA basketball um, is headed to the Sweet 16. Tracy. This is true. Uh, they've won three games in five days, beating Michigan State in the first four. Then beating BYU, which was a team I had circled as, ah, uh, yeah, the road probably ends here. Um, initially, once I saw what they did against Michigan State, I changed that to a win, mostly because I'm a huge homer. Um, but they handled BYU. And then uh, they, um, you know, did did what you're supposed to do against Abilene Christian, which Texas did not the previous, uh, previous game. Yes. Um, they are, uh, I would say, the last... 100 minutes of UCLA basketball have been, um, I think when we were all thinking of that team that we saw in February of last year, how it might continue this year, this is, um, I think, what we would think of as like the culmination of that. Um, And the stunning thing is they're doing it without Chris Smith and Jalen Hill, Um, that they are playing with this level of commitment, togetherness, all that kind of stuff. Um, on both ends. Um, defensively, obviously, the upside is a little bit lower because they don't have an elite shot blocker or elite athleticism on the perimeter. But you can make up for that a lot if you're playing as a team, you're picking each other up, you're rotating, you're switching, you're doing all that stuff kind of seamlessly, and they are right now. Um, to the point where I don't even want to talk about it too much because I feel like I might jinx it because it they're, they're having to do it with such... Um, I won't say limited athleticism, but compared to what they had last year, it is pretty limited. Um, but against Abilene Christian and especially against BYU, it was really, really impressive what they're able to do with just essentially commitment, effort, focus, all those things that are kind of soft factors. Um, it's been really impressive. Um, I, a few things. I, I learned how to shake that jinx bugaboo. Uh, during the game, I texted, uh, they must have been eight minutes into the game, and I said, UCLA has not committed one of those you-know-whats. And they didn't then go on to commit 24 turnovers. I know. So I think the jinxing gods 
watch how you say something. Uh, so just keep that in mind. I just thought you'd want to know that because that's what I discovered. Uh, also, what we really say here in this little podcast that four people listen to each a thousand times doesn't really impact what happens on the court. What it does impact is how everyone on the forum will blame you for jinxing it. Yeah, obviously. But that's more yeah. what I'm talking about here because I don't yeah. believe in that stuff. But more what I'm saying is it feels so um, narrow, like what they're doing. Like It feels like they're walking such a narrow path because they're getting, like the last two and a half games, basically, they're getting so much out of their athleticism, so much out of their um, what they physically are on the defensive end, especially, um, that it's, it feels just so precarious almost. Um, it, it, it absolutely is. They're, they're a mediocre shooting game away from losing to Alabama by like 24. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, even playing decent defense. They, they, there isn't a margin for error here with this team because they are, they are getting about as much as they can out of them right now. And that is dependent on playing a very high level of defense, which they have been playing. And then shooting the ball and executing the offense at a pretty high clip itself. Well, and that's the big thing is that the the fo- and it's it's so much about the focus, commitment, teamwork, all that stuff on both ends because that's all there on defense, and it's a big part of why they are playing. I think they're playing pretty close to their hundred percent game on defense night in and night out the last three nights, um, or at least the last two and a half games. Um, but offensively, it's all there, too. I mean, the the amount they're sharing the ball. Jules Bernard. Jules Bernard had five assists in the last game. That is a career high. And last year, he had 19 total for the entire year. Yeah. Um, he's, like, they're just, they seem to, there seems like, and it, it's what uh, Cronin talked about in the post game. but, like, just the togetherness, the sense of playing for each other. Um, it seems to have clicked, um, and the the ball's just moving really well offensively. Um, and there were a few possessions where, I mean, they passed out of some good looks to get like in and get fouled. Like they they were doing so many things that were just like, wow, this is a really unselfish team right now. Um, it, yeah, and it's just it's just impressive they were able to find this kind of groove um, basically at the start of the tournament. You know, it's funny because uh, coaches, including Cronin, talk about how a young team needs to learn what it needs to do to win. And Cronin along, and I asked him this question, and he kind of didn't answer completely because he he, he was in, in that interview after uh, Abilene Christian. He wanted to give people a lot of credit, and, and I completely understand that. Um, but I asked, you know, he has cited a few times throughout the season that, you know, especially after losses <laughs> – We've been telling these guys what they need to do. When they listen, they play well. When they don't listen, they lose. Um, and I, I, I think it's been a process, from what I've heard, too, is that uh, Cronin and his staff give them hard lessons of what they have to do. It's like parenting, Dave. You keep telling your kid the work and discipline they need and they kind of resist, 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 and then they do it, and they keep doing it, and then somehow they come out on the other end and get rewarded for it in any different f- facet of life. And they go, oh, okay, I understand. I think that's what this team is doing, and it has to be. It has to do with 
age and experience too that how many times have we heard Tiger Campbell actually say, when we do what our coach tells us to do, good things happen? Um, that's, a, that's a crazy process because it is a parenting process. It is a maturation process. And there's a lot to be said for uh, veteran players, seniors, learning that and knowing what it takes, to what they have to do uh, to bring it every game and listen to their coach. Yeah, and uh, you can see that happening. I mean, just the the way they... Because, I mean, in previous games, it was apparent, I think, to an extent, what the game plan was on both ends. Um, but the game plan has been so clear the last couple of games, and I think the reason it's clear is because they're executing it. Uh, yeah. You know, they're doing it on both ends, so we can say, oh, yeah. So the whole game plan here is to extend the defense, single up, and uh, just for BYU, that was the game plan. Okay, we get this. Uh, because they executed it well. Uh, because they did it right. Um, and it's just, you know, I think it's uh, it's a testament to Cronin, uh, obviously, but um, to kind of buy in at that point. Because um, it didn't even happen at the beginning of the Michigan State game. The Michigan State game started really slow. And then about halfway through, um, it all just kind of, I don't know, things reinforced, things clicked or whatever it was. But um, it's been a different team the last hundred minutes. Um, I think yeah. they've taken a big step up. And obviously it's based on the growth they've made all year and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And the things that happened to them, you know, to end the year. Um, but a, I, I would say just an absolutely enormous step up in their performance and their effort and their focus commitment, all that kind of stuff um, from basically the end of the first half against Michigan state to the beginning of the second half. I, I would all, I, I also want to draw attention to um, um, the various opinions out there and the range of opinions on the level of Cronin's coaching ability. Um, because we, we get the whole, <laughs> we get the whole gamut there in the forum. Uh, and you can kind of see where people, what, where they're getting their take and where it originated from. I mean, a lot of the people who question the hiring of Cronin are still hanging on there, trying to be critical when they lose a game, they, they come out of the woodwork when they win a game, they kind of disappear uh, at this point. Uh, now let's just, let's preface this by saying Mick Cronin is going to make some mistakes in coaching. He will. All coaches do. But I don't think there's any way, it's it's undeniable that those first three games of the tournament, I'm counting them as three in the tournament, uh, were really well-coached games. Not only the game plan going on, going on, going into the game, the way the team executed, and then his in-game coaching also. Um, I, thought, I thought that was... I thought that I'm not, I can't be too hyperbolic here, but I think that's one of the best series of three games in a row we've seen from a UCLA coach in a long time. Um, and I think what really finished it off for me was the in-game coaching. They're, they're, this is not an easy team. It's not like you got your five starters and you got your rotation – and you just kind of by rot rotate them in there and you sit down and you watch it all. And that's just not that, – it's such a quirky roster. You've got to really analyze these matchups and see who works best where, who doesn't. Like 
Mac Eddian gets a lot of time against Michigan State, didn't play against Abilene Christian. Yeah. There, there, there are just a lot of matchup reasons going on, and it's an ongoing process, and Cronin was so nimble in his ability to do this, not only with the game plan, but within the game, too, you know, adapt to uh, uh, pers- uh, fouls, uh, foul trouble, adapt to how s- some player is playing, adapt to once you get in the game, you really see what the matchups are and adjust from there. This was some really excellent, excellent coaching. And I know he gave credit to Rod Palmer, who did the scout, even though he gave credit to his entire staff. It's also a matter, I mean, it is Mick Cronin and it is his staff. And that was an excellent job against Abilene Christian. Uh, they're not a good team. I mean, that's a low major team, let's just say. Um, but Cronin's coaching made it made it what it should have been. Yeah, right? never they, in doubt beat, after like eight in minutes doubt. into the game. Yeah. Right. And you know that is a bit of a challenge because you just saw Texas not do that. Well, and that's one key thing I wanted to say is like, look, obviously Abilene Christian was a low major and they're probably one of the worst opponents UCLA's faced in the tournament in quite a long time. Um, But they're not like a complete, they just beat Texas, which, and Texas was good-ish this year. Um, Yes, undisciplined. Yes, a bad matchup against Abilene Christian in a few kind of important ways coming into that game. But Abilene Christian was able to beat them. They were able to play Texas Tech and Arkansas relatively close this year. Not a complete joke of a low major. Um, And even though they were, you know, vastly undersized and very not good in this game, um, I think a big part of that was UCLA coming out super focused with a really good game plan, really good preparation, um, and guys were... um, because against a team like that, what you can also be prone to, and this is a real thing that goes into these games, is overconfidence. Um, Texas clearly was overconfident in that game. Clearly, that was a big part of what was going on there. For UCLA to be pre- prepared to play seriously, to play their whatever you want to call it, their 85% game in this one. Because I think that's about what we saw. I think we saw their 95% game against BYU, and I think we saw... You know, a little bit more cruise control, but their 85% game against Abilene Christian, the fact that they were able to bring that effort and bring that focus for 40 minutes is, again, a testament to coaching because that's exactly what you want to do to these sorts of opponents, and it's something that wasn't happening this year. There were a lot of games that UCLA very much outmatched their opponents where they would end up winning by five or six, maybe. Um, This game, they absolutely took care of business this is the way you're supposed to beat a team like this in the tournament put them away in the first half keep your foot on the gas and leave no doubt and it was what 60 to 36 with you know basically no meaningful time left uh they did exactly what they needed to do so you know denigrate abilene christian all you want but ucla did 100 percent exactly what you're supposed to do against a team like that if you're a good team um and that's my biggest takeaway from that. Um, yeah. And they were prepared for it. Yeah. Um, uh, one more thing on Cronin. Um, he has a whole different, uh, not completely different, but there's a little bit of a change in his demeanor. There's a little bit of a different air about him. Wouldn't you say? little swagger. Uh, 
little there's swagger. Some, there's some swagger, definitely some swagger uh, in the post game. Even on the even on the on the sideline. Even though, of course, he I don't know if you would call it. Uh, what would you call his demeanor on the sideline? Usually, it's explosive. I would say yeah. he's he's less explosive. He's been in the last few games. No, um, what it was, it was. Um, this is the thing I would describe it because I noticed it during the game. You notice when guys turned it over, how how like it wasn't even anger; it was like almost disgust with them. Yeah. Like the, Jalen Clark had one, just poor Jalen Clark played really well, but he had two turnovers. One of which he got pulled immediately from him, and he, and it was just Cronin pointing at him, saying, "You're coming out of the game." Um, and it was just, I think there was. What it is is it's like that um, that athletic arrogance you sometimes see from really good players. It's like a little coaching yeah. arrogance to him. Like he, what I think he wanted was okay. Texas turned it over twenty three times against Abilene Christian. I want to turn it over five times. I yeah. think that's what he wanted from this game um, to kind of treat it as okay. This is an opportunity for us to show really who we are. Yeah. Now again. He's going to make coaching mistakes. He could go into Alabama and make some critical tactical errors. But a good coach isn't going to be perfect. It's impossible. They're going to make mistakes. And they're going to make judgment errors. But, man, just the overall, just to cap this off, the the coaching has been phenomenal. I mean, we haven't even talked about getting this much out of this group of players. No, and, I mean, it's just – we're talking about Abilene Christian a lot because of just what they – that was the most recent game and advanced him to the Sweet 16. But, I mean, BYU uh, – I, I, I think people are, because it's BYU, because they're not a whatever, Power 5, Power 6, um, they're kind of losing it a little bit. But BYU is a really good team, really good. They defended so well coming into that game, and they, they were really good on offense too. And – UCLA handled them the entire game. Like BYU, I don't think they got closer than three in the second half. Um, yeah. Just completely handled them, led basically the entire game, um, and just executing everything so perfectly, so well, never really allowing them to get hot from three, never allowing that big dude down low to do really anything. Just the tougher team across the board. I mean, when you've got Tiger Campbell just going in there and stealing the ball from a 7-3 guy, just ripping it out of his hands, like, what an image. Like, what a perfect yeah. image of what that game was. Um, yeah. And I think when we're, like, looking back on this, I mean, hopefully it continues on, uh, you know, indefinitely the next few games. But uh, if we're looking back on – say they lose to Alabama, but if we're looking back on this whole run, I mean, that BYU game, that's a, that's maybe the best win, I think, for Cronin so far at, at UCLA. Hmm. Yeah, I I almost am saying Michigan State too, um, because BYU they had built up a little bit of confidence after having beaten Michigan State. Michigan State they're coming off four losses. They had to the confidence had to be a, a little questionable at that point. They're coming in against a team that is known for being tough and physical and the reputation and Izzo and the whole thing. And the fact that they just in that second half and through the overtime just came back from that deficit of 14 points and showed that kind of guts and grittiness to me that, that really was the, the big win for me. 
But um, it also puts in perspective those four losses mm-hmm. because, okay, uh, of those four losses to end the season, uh, three of them were to sweet 16 teams. One was a, a round of 32 team, and they were beating all of them until some things happened in the last few I mean, one, uh, just put this in perspective. Did you see USC play? Well, that's the thing. Like it's Kansas. like USC is now see? being talked about as a national title contender because of what they yeah. did to Kansas, and I think it's completely legitimate. And UCLA Absolutely. should have won that game. Absolutely, one hundred percent. When I saw USC earlier on in the season, I have to admit I thought in my mind, "Damn, that's one of the most talented teams I've seen this year." And then our spiritual guide, Bill Walton, started touting them, and I, I. Hated to admit he was right, even though he went overboard. Everyone who was ever associated with USC was was a god at that moment. But um, they were they have uh, championship level talent, and they just you know occasionally will won't play hard and they have major lapses. But in the game that you said, you played them real played a very very good game against that team, which. Entirely, uh, when you first started to watch that game, and you said, "Okay, Kansas," and you know, you, you Kansas is across is on their jersey, and the guys, you know, most of those guys look like they should be Kansas players. By about halfway through the second half, you were looking at them like they were Abilene Christian. Yeah, like what low major is this? Wow, it, it, it they transformed before your your very. They were smaller, less athletic, horribly skilled. Like, yeah, well, and they were, well, but, and that's what a, and that's what an elite team will make you look like too. Right. Like, so, the fact that UCLA outplayed that team, <laughs> and then Oregon State, seriously, in watching all these games, Oregon State is one. First off, I, I'm going to admit this just to you and the other four people listening. Besides UCLA, and probably right there, I love them. Yeah, I love the dude, team. Alatiche. I love the players. I love Alatiche so much. Oh I, I just, just watching them all play is just an absolute treat to watch them play. Um, and if you would have just watched them play and watched all the teams and didn't know any, didn't have any preconceived notion, you'd say, "Oh, that's a that's one of the top ten teams in this tournament, easily." Just not just by how balanced they are, the roles they all play. How talented! They, I, it's just—it's really incredible. UCLA was up 16 points to those guys. Yeah, I, I mean, this is—it's phenomenal. Where UCLA, how they did in those last four games, and you hear the national media whenever they say their excuse. Well, UCLA lost its last four games. Well, they didn't lose to Washington and Cal. They lost to Sweet 16 teams. Uh, on the road, except for one. Uh, I mean, wow, that that really puts that in perspective. And then that leads me into my gri- our, our, We've got to talk about it. Uh, how about the national media? I mean, we know it's there. We've always we are always aware of it. You and I kind of don't complain about it. But this is egregious, dude. This is amazing. The, the, the re- going into the tournament during the tournament predicting almost every Pac-12 team would lose before each game. Then after the game, the, the 
oh my God, Mich- some of these teams, you know, Iowa lost because they were so worn down by the play in the Big Ten. Well, that's what? the thing is, it, it, I don't mind any of the pre-tournament narratives because, frankly, it was hard to know. Um, but the the once you've seen stuff with your eyes, once you've watched, once you have watched Oregon, like you watched them play, you watched what they did, and then you maybe compared it to their averages and said, "Hey, actually, they didn't do anything that they don't normally do." Iowa just didn't play any defense whatsoever. Uh, and Iowa just isn't very good. And Iowa just yeah. isn't very good. Oregon wow. had them out-athleted at every position. Every position. I've, I've come away from so... I've watched a few teams. Of course, I've watched all the Pac-12 a lot. But I've watched other teams. I've watched Iowa this year. I've watched Michigan. I've watched a lot of teams. i watched Illinois. And then watching them in the tournament, you came away saying, after, after watching the Pac-12 and watching the last few weeks of Pac-12 play... Wow, these teams are not very good. The other teams, well, the one Big thing Ten, that's... the Big Ten specifically, slow. Yeah, well, that's the thing is one thing that's slow, unathletic, and and just really not as skilled as you would have thought. Well, and this is maybe where I kind of get hit a little bit because I don't really watch these teams um, much that are national. Like I'm watching mostly Pac-12 fa- basketball, but I had no idea how slow and unathletic the rest of the country was. Yeah. And I realize that's a crazy thing to say, but like after watching Oregon and watching USC, it's like I I don't know. I mean, because like UCLA in this tournament so far, we were talking about them being an athletic deficit in all these Pac-12 games. Yeah, and they really haven't been in any of these games. Like yeah. Michigan State, maybe a little bit. BYU, no way. ACU, yeah. obviously, no way. But then I'm looking ahead at Alabama, and I'm like, I just watched them. They look they look pretty damn athletic. Are they any more athletic than Oregon? I would say not. I would say not. I would and, say comparable. And, and SC, not as athletic as either. So I just, I don't, I, I don't know. I think, and I think these are these are tough assessments to make pre-tournament because all you, they were going off of what they had, which was, you know, obviously the impressions of all these things. But even like these analytics systems, Ken Palm did not have the Pac-12 rated particularly highly relative to these, these other leagues. So I understand all that. I understand the seeding even. Like, no no Pac-12 team was especially dominant. It was hard to know because they all didn't do particularly well in non-conference. Um, and yes, there were all those mitigating circumstances that Mick Cronin brought up. But I think yeah, seeding the tournament this year was just an impossible job. It was going to be really hard and somebody would be, um, you know, wronged. But I just don't know how you don't reassess once you get into it. Because obviously... Obviously, and I, I, I do think it is obvious, uh, the Pac-12 teams were underseeded, and that's not just their winning, but look at the way Oregon and USC, not even UCLA, but look at the way Oregon and USC are winning. Like, wh- look what Oregon did to Iowa. Let Iowa play its game, and it just did it better. Like, I, Iowa I, wants I, to get up I, and I'm down, letting, and Oregon just did it better. I'm not going to let them off the hook, Dave. Their job is to is to evaluate teams and seed the tournament. They're uh, Everyone who's... Doing any kind of ranking system or anything, if you're going to do it, go and look at teams. I mean, they simply—it's clear if you listen to the media. If you, I'm—they did not watch the Pac-12 this year. They don't know the teams. They don't know the players. They don't know how to pronounce a lot of the names. I mean, they never—they've never seen these teams. You can hear it when they're all when they're they're watching Oregon and they're wow, wow. Who, who's this? Uh, this Chris Duarte kid is—he's pretty good. I mean, 
you can tell they are exposing themselves that they've never watched the Pac-12. I, I mean, Jaime Jaquez has now become everyone's favorite. Play. They've never watched him play. Yeah. They, they don't. They do not know the Pac-12. So I don't let them off the hook. It's their job to know this. Yeah. Now, I mean, uh, and then you're totally. saying on top of it, absolutely that they should know now. Yeah, but I guess my yes. point is, my, my point is, Tracy, if I was seeding the tournament, none of these teams would have been two seeds, and Oregon and USC are both playing like two seeds right now. Right, okay, but they didn't deserve, I think the seeding was was still low. It was the probably a line low on everybody, but it, I don't think their resumes would have had it any higher than that. Okay, let's just, and I know you'll say this means nothing, but how about just the rankings all season? All these other conferences had three, four teams in the top 25, I think the Pac-12 was lucky if it had two at one time. Yeah, I mean, I think it was all, I mean, I think it was uh, an error, but I don't want to like, go too hard on it because it's not just, like, um, voters. The analytic systems all were pretty low on the Pac-12 because, and this is the unfortunate reality of the COVID season, is that they weren't extensive non-conference seasons, and what was there was largely the Pac-12 being at, to Mick Cronin's point, a disadvantage because they hadn't practiced as much. Um, I get that, but you're doing it on comparative. You're saying, well, this team plays this team that plays this yeah, team. Yeah, but that's or, what the analytic systems are based on. Exactly. Like a lot of it. I'm saying, I, I get that. I'm saying the the other people, let's just say the national media, well, the guys who have played basketball, and know, they should be able to watch a team and know and, and put some sense of how good this team is. Nobody, compared... Nobody's working that hard, Tracy. Come yeah, on. they just, and I mean, and then I don't know if you saw it. ESPN reseeded the the Sweet I saw Sixth. that. Yeah, that's the stuff that I think is a complete <laughs> joke at this Between point. Between twelve and six, twelve well, through what, six, fifteen. What is that is, what that is, is not only not only did you not pay attention beforehand, but you're you didn't even pay attention to the tournament that you're covering because yeah. anybody who has Oral Roberts higher than the number sixteen team in this group has not watched the games. Not there at are all. So, there are so many guys on TV. On CBS covering these games that will give themselves away. They'll say something and I'll, oh, you have never watched USC play. You have never watched, you, you didn't watch Oregon play. You can just tell by what they say that they didn't watch any Pac-12 teams and they're just making it up as they go along. Yeah, I mean, from my vantage point, I think whoever emerges from USC Oregon has a really good chance of knocking off Gonzaga. Really good that's, chance. That's going to be such a great game. It's going to be so much fun to watch, but I don't think Gonzaga... I Watching Oregon and USC's athleticism in this tournament has been eye-opening for me. Yeah. Like, just yeah. comparing it to what else I'm seeing, it's like, well, who is more athletic than these teams? Um, and and, and I got to say, of uh, course we don't like to see USC win. We, we no. don't. Uh, for a lot of reasons, because they're they're USC, and then we are competing for recruits in the same area in Southern California. I I get that, but Kansas Kansas is kind of a you can kind of dislike the Kansas program. I mean, there are things I that, I, I outwardly enjoyed yesterday's game. Yeah, I, so I outwardly enjoyed that. When when I got to admit, I mean, I wanted going in, I wanted Kansas to beat SC, but the way SC was playing. And, and like I said, transforming that Kansas team into a low major is how they look. <laughs> yes. I, that was really enjoyable. It, it truly was fun to watch that transformation and watch that happen. Yeah. I got to tell you. So, yeah, it's just it's a phenomenal thing that's happened 
with the Pac-12. And like I said, and I tweeted out, it should it should be the number one takeaway story of this of this tournament. And you, they started to catch on, like toward the end, toward the Sweet 16. Uh, sorry, the round of 32 games, and they started to make it part of the narrative. But before that, they weren't saying a word. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, and that's kind of the point I was making with the Gonzaga game is if so, USC Oregon, whoever's the winner of that, whatever it is, um, they're probably I don't know the fifth favorite in the league in the tournament remaining, I would guess, because they still have to play Gonzaga and maybe no one else will have to if whoever it is knocks them off. Um, but they're there with Gonzaga, Baylor, uh, Houston, and I guess Michigan, but I don't even know who the favorite is in that region. I think it's probably Alabama right now. Um, but it, USC or Oregon, whoever emerges from that game is right there with those four. Like it, yeah. if you're, if you're a credible re- reseeder of the, final 16 and you don't have one of those teams at least in your top six then you're doing it wrong a guy to maybe watch is seth greenberg because whatever he says is a really good chance just just do the georgia sands and go the opposite way michigan state was going to beat ucla pretty clearly i think he had byu beating ucla um some jokers had acu beating ucla and here's the thing. Seth Greenberg has West Coast ties, too. So, dude, you're, you're, I can't tell you what you're doing. And now his pick, his Cinderella pick to make the Final Four is not Oregon State. It's Loyola Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the thing is, and here's where I, I do want to, uh, Loyola Chicago is really good. They um, are. And they... So I, typical. I have an unfortunate belief that um, they will be where the Oregon State road ends because uh, they're legit, uh, Loyola Chicago, but I think that's going to be a really, really good game. Um, but I'd like to just see one pick of a Pac-12 team that's a little, you say, oh, that's cool, that might probably be wrong. Because that's yeah. all you ever hear about their picks. For well, the, the, the real travesty of the seeding is that USC and Oregon have to play right now. Um, it's it's. I mean, I kind of take a little bit of. On one hand, you take a little bit of pleasure from the fact that those two programs are going to knock one of them out. Um, yeah, but but the, on the other hand, it is reflective of what you're saying. It's just uh, they didn't even have enough care to look ahead and see what they were doing. Because and all they had to do, all they had to do, was flip Oregon over into Florida's spot on the other side and put Florida as the seventh seed on this side. That's oh, all they course. had to do, and it would have solved all Pac-12 problems. There wouldn't have been a potential matchup until UCLA-Oregon in the potential Elite... or UCLA-Colorado in the potential Elite Eight. It never occurred to them that USC and Oregon would get this far in play. And that's shocking. Sure and that's shocking because, obviously, to everyone who even was half paying attention, those were the two teams with the, quote, best chance of making a Sweet 16 because they have the best athletes, the best teams. Uh, it's right. just it's 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 stunning how badly they seeded those two. It would be one thing if you put USC in the same side as like UCLA's play in eleven or whatever. Um, obviously, you couldn't do that because USC was the six. But even if you put them, a, a, say Oregon State's twelve was over here, that would be fine. But to do it with USC and Oregon, which are uh, you know I think by most subjective measures the two best teams in the league this year. Um, obviously, Oregon had to. You know, they had a bunch of COVID issues. Uh, 
But to make it so they have to match up in the in the Sweet 16, I think that's the biggest travesty of Pac-12 seeding. Yes. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about. I didn't have anything to really. I, when I realized that UCLA was going to beat Abilene Christian yesterday, and I thought I need to write something tomorrow, I had nothing really to write. Then I got like one phone calls and texts from scouts and uh, AU guys who literally asked me. <laughs> it, it was so typical. One guy is not from the West Coast, and he just you know just really asked me like, uh, "Hey, so what's UCLA's roster situation?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, they, they they got noticed now. They if and it's a it's a huge boost to the program. If they would have just gotten run out in the playing game against Michigan State, they would have they were under the rug and they would have stayed under the rug. Right now now they've got their profile is in the spotlight, um, and that reverberates in so many different ways in recruiting. When you go out as in spring and summer as a staff and you just came off the sweet 16 and all of these recruits have now seen you like a lot of recruits don't even watch playing games. So they, they didn't know, you know, and many people I know consider playing game, not part of the tournament. So when recruits watch this and see who's in the sweet 16, they now have the program now has credibility. It, it gets you in the conversation. Um, that is huge in recruiting in spring and summer. Absolutely huge. I, I can't even tell you doing this job how many times I hung out in spring and summer at various recruiting events and talking about swagger. There was a complete different swagger to the teams that made the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four when you were at all these events. It was, it was, they had a glow about them. And everyone saw it. The recruits saw it. Every, because they had been getting so much press Right before they went out, everyone was thinking about them. Um, as I said, the 2022 class is going to be a huge one for UCLA. There could be, with the transfer portal, it's really difficult. And with this whole super senior thing, it's really difficult to even put numbers together on how many um, scholarships I'll have to give to that class. But it could be upward of five or even six. I'd say probably five, give it um, just trying to actually project what it might be. That's a huge kind of program-defining class for Mick Cronin. He's going to have, you know, he's got a couple of guys who've come in so far. He's going to have a couple more guys next year. But then you bring in five, that's the transition where this is now his his program. It couldn't be better time that they're going to go out there, hopefully with some Jordan Brand UCLA gear on their chest, Um and go out recruiting this summer, coming off that, trying to fill a program-defining class. This is the kind of stuff that you look back years from now and say, yeah, that's right there. That's Like people are trying to say, I don't see a big win. I don't see that there was really a big win here. You kind of have to understand it from the perspective of, you and I know, so much of this is about recruiting and the players you get. And the timing of the momentum you have when you're recruiting. And this is, this is perfectly timed. I, I can't even tell you how much they are going to be able to parlay this into a recruiting edge. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's hugely significant, and um, where it goes from here, it's only going to add to that um, if they can, you know, continue it on a little bit more. But oh, um, it, it, as a as ex- a exponential, yeah, yeah, as a as a I don't know a, a statement for his program. Um, you know, I was just looking at it earlier um, because I think we've all. I don't know. Prior to the start of the tournament, I think there was uh, an element of this season being um, not a lost opportunity or a missed opportunity, but like, oh, kind of a bummer because Chris Smith and and Jalen Hill weren't available and then all the COVID stuff that started the year and yada, yada, yada. Um, But then you actually just go and look at where they've improved, Um, like statistically, not even just your eye test, but just what the improvement is. And it's meteoric. I mean, they've gone from the 78th, or sorry, let me let me pull it up because I think this is worth touching on. They've gone from the 78th overall team last year in Ken Palm at the end of the year to the 24th right now. They're top 25 team Wait, in Ken Palm. Wait, they were se- at, at the end of the regular season last year? At the year, end of the regular, se- yeah. 78th? Now, yeah, 78th, and they had, they had moved that's, up a lot um, in the previous all, couple of weeks, but, but they were 78th. Uh, oh. Defensive efficiency went up from 112th to 63rd. So they've they've basically that, that's gone way up this year. Yeah, that's gone way up from where it was literally five games ago. Um, yes. Offensive efficiency fifty first to twelfth. Yes, um, and that's and, gone up. I checked that. That was that was seventh, and then it had fallen down to about twenty eighth. So that's gone up to twelfth. Yeah. Right, and a big part of why the offensive efficiency, and this is where it starts to get into the things that I think are Cronin putting his stamp on the program, and this is maybe the most critical one: turnover rate. On offense, that went from 224th last year to 38th this year. Wow. Wow. That is – so hallmark of Cronin's offenses may or may not shoot it well, may or may not do a lot of things well. They don't turn it over. The best Cronin offenses don't turn it over, and that's what this one does. It does that at a super elite level. Now, the thing that I think um, you can expect in years to come that isn't there yet is the elite two-point defense. Um, in basically each of his last seven years at Cincinnati, Cronin basically led the country in block rate um, and led the country in two-point defense because of that. They had a lot of length on the interior, but also it was the big focus. They they wanted to prevent you from getting layups. Now, his defenses do allow a lot of threes, um, but the idea is that you beat him on up, up beat them up enough on the interior, deny them those two pointers that are really easy, um, and then contest on the outside and hope you, you know, get them to miss a good percentage. But that's an area where you can expect them to improve going forward. But already the improvement in so many different areas is profound. And I think the key note to take from that is that they've done it with what I would describe as at best a net neutral change in terms of meaningful personnel. Juzang plus Clark versus Smith plus Hill. Yeah. At best, a net neutral. And uh, so when you're talking about that improvement, that is an improvement from buy-in. That is an improvement from player development. Um, That's an improvement from Jules Bernard getting significantly better. Tiger Campbell cutting down on his turnovers. David Singleton shooting the ball better. Uh, Cody Riley becoming a much better player. Um, Just all of these guys making improvement year over year. Um. I mean that's that's a program. That's that's yeah. a statement about the program. Yeah, and uh, the uh, absolutely great great points, great stats. Um, 
the thing I also wanted to add about recruiting is uh, they it is going to be a destination for for transfers too. Uh, when I've I've been, I've been telling our listeners readers that I think UCLA was going to be uh, first very aggressive in the transfer portal and probably you know have a lot of interest. You can you can times that by about four or five right now compared to what when I was saying that last week. Um, they're going to get a lot of interest now. I don't think I don't think there are going to be a lot of teams that are in the Sweet 16 this year that pretty much return their their entire personnel like UCLA will. While you can also then say if you're a six ten post player. We don't – well, let's say they, they lose Cody Riley. We need you as the last piece of the puzzle. While on the same time, if you've noticed in, in the media's need to do its short little sound bites, whenever they do a little, little bit on UCLA, they show Johnny Juzang hitting a shot, and they say UCLA and Johnny Juzang – the Kentucky, Kentucky transfer averaged two points a game last year, leading the Bruins this year, averaging 22 points a game in the in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, it is an open advertisement for for guys who are in the transfer portal. Um, so there, there's just there are so many positives right now. I I don't know if there's more positives towards a program than more signals pointing in a positive direction than we've had in a really, really long time. And it's um, amazing how much it is impacted by the last hundred minutes of basketball too. Yeah. Like just because, I mean, I think, um, you know, that four game losing streak, sure. But like just the season in its entirety, we didn't necessarily see them doing the fully um, engaged defense that we've seen in the last hundred minutes. Um, and seeing that, seeing these guys again, who we saw it all in February last year, but then it kind of was not as apparent um, for the first three months of the season. Uh, seeing that again, assuages a lot of those personnel concerns that were cropping up, you know, a week or two ago. Um, because, well, if they can play like this, and if they can play with this level of commitment, then you don't need to, overhaul you know there's lots of talk of overhauling the roster with six new guys coming in and kick some guys out and all that kind of stuff and well i mean if they're playing like this you don't need to you can upgrade you can you can add some pieces that might make it easier on a couple of these guys but man i mean it's it's more of a you want to accent this dish with uh some new ingredients more than you want to you know throw it out and start again yeah, that whole thing too. I mean, we talked about it, and people uh, denigrating yeah, Tiger have. Campbell to that significant extent, and it's like, oh man. I mean, one of the things he does that is a huge priority. I just touched on it, but he does not turn the ball over. He does not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to handle the ball to the extent he does against the pressure he does, and to not turn it over to the extent he does, it's a hard quality to find. It really is. Um, uh, what what I see in Cronin too um, was a very good balance when he took the job of a blend of realizing that he had to he knew he wanted to win soon, but he also had a, a longer vision 
uh, about the program too. I think he had a good grasp of realizing that if I do things right here and I coach well and we recruit at a decent level, we are going to be good. I don't necessarily want to shortcut things. Like I'm just adding a little bit of a dimension when it comes to that conversation about running off all the players and starting over. Um, I don't think it would have been a good idea. First off, it was almost unrealistic in terms of when he came in and and if he would have been if there were any players that were better that he that he could have found and even in the transfer market at the time if you remember UCLA couldn't get like grad transfers admitted at that point. It was in the process of that grad transfer program. No, the grad I'm sorry, the grad education program. So there are a lot of little details about that, but Cronin has really shown you're Mick Cronin. You're coming to UCLA. You're coming from Cincinnati. You, you're realistic that they UCLA pursued a few other guys before you. You might have a little insecurity and say, "I got to come in there and show everyone I'm going to win immediately and do some things and cut some corners." The one thing about Mick Cronin, he's been doing this a really long time, and we kind of forget that. Yet, I mean, we know it, we hear it, we see it on paper, but you kind of think because you haven't. We all, I mean, admittedly, didn't pay too much attention to Cincinnati until they beat the crap out of UCLA a few times in the last few years. Um, so, but he's been doing this a long time, and he knows how this all works, and he knew what his coaching style and what he could do at UCLA, that combination. And he had confidence in it, and he did what he what he knew was right and with a, a more eye towards the future and longer term. That showed some real, I think, some real vision and some confidence in his own ability to get it done. Um, well, and I think it also the, – the people clamoring for him to replace basically everyone are misunderstanding the way he has coached. Um, and I think they're misunderstanding what they're seeing right now, which is whatever you're thinking about the tournament right now, it's a testament to player development. It's a testament to these guys getting better in the program. I don't think like – especially doing that kind of turnover right now, two years in, I don't think that's something that would be smart for him. Um, and I don't think it's something he would do because it's they've invested two years in the, the development of some of these guys. Um, and you don't want to just throw that away because who knows what your three will bring. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's and a I, lot and of I'm reasons. Telling, yeah, just simply this, this kind of encapsulated a little bit. Um Jules Bernard has had, you could say, a mixed career at UCLA, right? His freshman year and, you know, a lot of his sophomore year, I mean, he was the guy who drove to nowhere. He was the guy who made some bad decisions. He's made, admittedly, he's made some this year too. But as you said, vastly improved player. He is going to be in his fourth year next year. All, all, there aren't, a lot of guys I would necessarily take over a senior Jules Bernard. Um, I, I have my faith in Jules Bernard as a senior next year. I think he's going to continue to improve and continue to get better because that's what he's shown he's done. Um, and the kid has shown how tough he is. I, I mean, Cronin always says, you know, he's just tough as nails mentally and physically. He just wants to 
keep coming back, keep playing, get in the game, no matter what. Um, yeah, there are more talented players that maybe you'd you'd trade for, but I'm fine. I'm fine. We'll keep ourselves some Jules Bernard, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. He's one of the he's one of the best players on the team this year. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it and you look at where he has where he's come from and now where he is, I mean. His usage level has gone down a little bit as he's kind of embraced, um, uh, just fundamentally, he's embraced more of a team concept. Um, he was a little bit of a ball hog. Um, and that wasn't, I don't even think it was a matter of selfishness. I think it was, he didn't have the the wherewithal, the understanding, the feel, all that kind of stuff that's necessary to be a better passer, to be a better playmaker. He's embraced that more this year, but more to the point, he's also not taking those opportunities that were so given to him um, because defenses wanted him to drive to nowhere. His turnover rate has been slashed. Uh, he's gone from yeah. one of the worst turnover rates on the team last year to one of the best on the team this year. He's got a ranked and he, turnover rate. he's handling rate. the ball more. Yeah, he's handling <laughs> yeah. the ball more. Um, and I wouldn't describe him yet as a playmaker, but his assist rate has gone up. And on top of that... He's a better shooter. He's hitting 40% from three this year um, because his shot selection has improved. Um, as a rebounder, he's valuable. He's one of the best defensive rebounders on the team. Um, but just in every facet of the game, he's an improved player this year. Um, and I think that's, again, we're talking about buy-in and all that kind of stuff. This is a guy who is, I think more than anybody, he's the poster child of the program. Um, he, yeah. he shows what you can do. Starting from here, where you can get if you buy in. Um, yeah. And now bought in, he's one of the best players on the team. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to add, to um, Generally, when I do my preseason prediction, I mean, a lot of it is, is done on faith. Some things I, you know, you just can't know. It's impossible to know in November, you know, what's going to happen in March. But I this year I really did look at a lot of teams, uh, teams that I remembered from the year before on paper. All the guys I remembered, uh, I really came away from that preseason prediction thinking, besides Baylor and Gonzaga, I don't think anyone's any good. <laughs> yeah. Or or there are good teams, but they're all it's it's Gonzaga and Baylor, and then there's everyone else. Um, and when I looked at UCLA, given what they had done last year, and don't forget this is with Chris Smith and and Jalen Hill, when I said they were going to go to the Final Four, did I say it with a little bit of faith and hope? Yeah, but I really believed they were among any – there was Baylor and there was Gonzaga, and there was probably about another 10 teams that had any chance as well as any of the other nine to make that Final Four. And – Looking at some of the other teams that I knew pretty well, and comparatively, I, I said, wow, I, I think UCLA has an edge. That's I, I based it on real stuff. Um, right now, without Chris Smith and without Jalen Hill, they're two, I mean, these are two significant games, admittedly, but they're still two games away from that prediction. You can imagine what they, where we would be and what they, we would be thinking about right now if those two guys were playing. Yeah. I mean, you simply add Jalen Hill to this team, and it takes away the one, and we'll talk about Alabama in just a second, it takes away one of the main issues I have with that game. 
Um, like one of the main defensive issues I have is basically what's Cody Riley going to do. Um, but yeah, that alone, that addition alone would make me think of this game more towards the realm of a coin flip. Um, and that would change the complete complexion of the rest of the, the tournament. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that was a completely legitimate thing. And I think that's only been borne out by this tournament. I mean, it's Gonzaga. Yeah. I don't even know if it's Gonzaga. It's definitely Baylor. Baylor looks great. Um, I think Gonzaga's really good. Um, I'm interested to see how they perform against uh, Oregon or USC. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've watched Gonzaga a few times this year, and I come away saying, wow, they're good. But you don't, you don't just get like an impression of them like, wow, that was overwhelming. You know what I mean? You, they're very skilled. They they make shots. They do, but it's not like you look at them on the floor and say that is a really impressive team. Well, look back on if you look back on their their season and you look who they built their resume against. Think about the teams: Kansas. They beat Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. Kansas, the team that USC just absolutely wiped the floor with. They beat them by twelve, and that was a big win at the time. Then they beat Iowa. They beat them by 11, 99-88. Yeah. And then they beat Virginia. That was a big win at the time. And then they crushed BYU a few times. Actually played pretty close with BYU a few times. Um, but those are their those are their big wins. Um, and I'm not denigrating Gonzaga here. I think they're really, really good. Um, but I don't know if they've played athletes like what Oregon or, or USC can bring to the table. They absolutely have a team that could win the national championship. But when you're talking, when you look at teams and say, who has the upside to really be dominant in a final four? Uh, SC has played some pretty crappy uh, uh, stretches of games where I've watched them and went, wow, how badly are they underachieving? But their, their ceiling is is phenomenal so when they're if they're gonna play hard and really engage themselves that's the type of team where that you look at and say they could you know they could really (laughs) win this whole thing and beat gonzaga pretty handily because of their size length and effort sorry sorry i I hit my quota of talking about usc basketball okay Um, let's stop all right people are overdosing oh god um Um, let's talk about alabama let's talk about alabama so alabama i do think is really good and i think unfortunately is one of the teams that's not a pac-12 team with real athletes left in this tournament um and those, those are problems. The biggest problem, though, is Alabama's style of play. They are an analytics-led team, which means they shoot a hell of a lot of threes. They average 30 three-point attempts per game. Uh, they are super predisposed to either get to the rim, that's where they like to shoot, or shoot threes. So UCLA's mid-range game, that would make Nate Oates uh, jump off a bridge. Like, they are not a fan of the mid-range. So this is going to be a challenging team for UCLA to deal with because UCLA's issue all season, um, defensively, more than anything, probably. um, I mean, more than anything, Mick Cronin's defenses generally have this issue which is allowing a lot of three-pointers. 
Um, it's there's this theory. I think I've gone into it before. You can't necessarily control what percentage a team hits from three, but you can control how many they take. And uh, Cronin's defenses, to their detriment or to their positive, whatever you want to call it, uh, they allow teams to shoot a lot of threes. Um, That combination against Alabama would be devastating. UCLA is going to probably need to do something similar to what they did against BYU. The problem is... Alabama is probably more capable of driving past UCLA's defenders than BYU ever would have been. Um, So it makes that challenging. You want to play tight on them to contest, but also they might be able to dribble drive around you and get, you know, plays at the rim. And they will also bring Cody Riley out to the perimeter because all five of their starters can shoot the three. Um, They're five starters. Uh, Their worst three-point shooter in their starting group is... uh, Jaden Shackelford, who's 34.6%. Everyone else is 37% or above, and they all shoot it with reasonable volume. Uh, The one guy, the bigger guy, Herbert Jones, who Riley will probably get matched up against, he's only shot it 54 times from three, but he's a 37% shooter. Um, They're going to pull everyone out. I expect they're going to pick on, in particular, Riley and Tiger Campbell, try to get them isolated. Um... And it's going to be a really challenging cover. Um, and I that's that's probably, the even though Alabama's a much better defensive team than they are an offensive team, it's a bad offense for UCLA to be faced against. It's, it's playing an NBA team. Yeah, they're, they're doing an NBA thing. They're trying yeah. very hard to be an NBA team playing college. Yeah. It will be very, we've, we've said how, how well Cronin's been coaching. This is, this is the biggest challenge. And I mean, not to be too negative, it would be a cons- it would be a considerable achievement to beat Alabama, not only because of their talent level, but because, as you said, the way their talent way UCLA matches up against their talent. So we're not sandbagging. This we're probably not even <laughs> giving Alabama as much credit as as we probably should. So that will be a challenging challenging matchup and it's going to be very interesting to see what Cronin does uh, to try to offset Alabama's clear matchup advantage Um, Dave I wanted to end this on uh, there and I only got a snippet of this but there was a bro poster who was talking about just how incredibly negative you are all the time I know big negative guy how, in this, like, if I had, he had referred to, I think, a broadcast where, in my mind, I thought you were balanced, if not maybe a little positive. That's just because you're desensitized. This broadcast right now, Dave, I would have put you at 95.5 positive. Wouldn't I you would say? say so. I would say so. I, I can't wait to see if someone calls you negative. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I, I imagine they will. Um Really quick game plan oh, okay. against Alabama. Really oh, quick. I went ahead of myself. Yeah, you know, you went way ahead of yourself. I'm sorry. Uh, really quick. UCLA, so this is really going to be a clash of styles. Alabama, they are 11th in tempo. 11th. They go really fast. Really, really fast. So they're getting threes and they're shooting them early. Uh, UCLA is going to need to be glacial absolutely glacial. They need to be measured in like geological time on offense. 
<laughs> like it needs to be Virginia-esque. Not just UCLA all year-esque, but Virginia-esque. They need to be in that really cold blue color on, on Ken Palm. Limit uh, possession. Yes, it needs to be very, very measured. But the, the other key is they need to pound Alabama when they're on offense. It needs to be so much Cody Riley or Jules Bernard, Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Clark just driving on these dudes constantly, constantly, constantly. Make them tired so that when they get on offense, their jumpers are falling short. Um, because they're going to get jumpers off. Uh, UCLA, even if they play their BYU game, Alabama's willing to shoot from range, too. Like They're willing to extend it out to 25 feet, um, and they're willing to shoot it from there. Um, so UCLA's going to try to contest, and they should do everything possible to do it, but they've got to make them tired when they're on defense, um, and that's going to be a huge key. Jalen Clark's going to have to play a ton in this one. I just don't see a way that they can play Cody Riley more than – I think they're going to have to play him some because they're going to need him on offense. They need him to take advantage of the mismatches. Um, But just defensively, he's going to get exposed. They're going to need Jalen Clark to play some small ball five. Um, But it's all going to be about controlling pace of play and making Alabama as tired as possible and force them to defend and hit your shots. Think about what you're saying. You're not saying like, I think they're going to have to play Lorenzo Mata some... (laughs) You're saying they're going to have to play a 6'5 freshman in the yeah. post uh-huh. some. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> uh, that there pretty much captures <laughs> captures what uh, Yeah, the, they're going to need to play their 6'5 the fre- they're going to need oh, to play their 6'5 freshman who's averaging about 10 minutes a game in their game against the SEC champion who's a uh, national title contender. Who doesn't who But doesn't, if they do that, they might have a chance to win. Who doesn't practice in the post? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's going to be a fun week that's really fun that's fun okay well did you want to comment about your like overwhelmingly I mean the the thing is the thing is like if you want to if you want to make that look so if you want to make that argument in like football season like in the middle of football season after I've done like six straight broadcasts talking about how bad they are in the post game that's fine. I mean, it's it's. I still think a little bit unfair because I'm just. I mean, look, man, it's been a bad. It's been a really bad five years of UCLA football, but it's been like a bad entire time I've been watching them. And and, look, you're, and you're just a mirror. You're I'm, just a mirror. I, well, I wouldn't say I'm just a mirror. There's some spots on there for sure. Like I don't clean well, that thing very often. But you enhance you enhance the mirror a little. But it's basically a mirror. Look, I've got a way of talking about things that I think people can find a little bit negative. But it's just it's just my nah, way. Um, no way, Dave. I'm hyperbolic. But I guess my point is, I, I'm legitimately pumped about this stupid UCLA basketball team right now. Like oh, talking that felt so good to hear you say that. But like I'm like I'm not quite where I was in like I don't know 2007 when it was like a religious experience going to the final four, but I'm like not that far off. I'm a complete psychopath about this stuff. If so, I had only taken video of you back then. I mean like, like that's that the thing. So great. Like after after they lost in the uh 2007 uh final four, lost to Florida doing the exact same stupid stuff they did in the first game. I walked around the city of Atlanta ranting on the phone to like friends for like three and a half hours. I don't even know if they were listening. I think I saw you. Yeah, just a complete yeah, nutter. Absolute nutter. Sand- you were wearing those smelly sandals. Yeah, right? always. Yeah. Um, 
But so I guess like my point is like no, this is awesome. I'm fully giddy about it. And uh, yeah, I just what I don't do, and I, I and I'm not meaning this to like denigrate at all. I don't turn my brain off. Like if it's even if in the midst of this suddenly they play like crap against Alabama, like. It's one thing losing to Alabama. I think we all expect them more than likely to lose to Alabama. If they do that also playing like crap, I'm not going to just say, oh, they lost to Alabama as we all expected. I'll say, oh, they lost to Alabama like we all expected, but they also played like crap in the doing. Like, that's yeah. my thing, is that I yeah. will, I'm trying to provide the honest, or at least what I perceive to be my honest assessment of what it was. Um, so. And honestly, too, uh, we've raised a little bit of expectation here about Cronin's level of coaching. His his margin of success when you're coaching against a team like Alabama narrows considerably. There just isn't too much any coach can do when you are faced with a disadvantage in matchups like that. It's it's tough. Like, what can he do? Yeah. And like you said, BYU, but yeah, it's, they're 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 not really even BYU. No, it's it's BYU with athletes, and that's the problem. Yeah, because um, yeah. they can do it all, but they can do it a little bit better, and they can do it. Uh, they do it at a different level. I mean, BYU is playing traditional college. Uh, Alabama's doing something different. It's going to be a different cover for all of these guys than they're used to. Um, and I, that I makes it, it I, and that makes yeah. it so interesting. But also, it makes it a game that they're very likely to lose. But that's not a bad thing at this point. Like it's not. It's lose this game, fine. Uh, play hard, focus, effort. You know, have a decent game plan coming in, and it might not work at all. They're they're probably going to shoot the three pretty well. Um, I think you're right about it's not only about limiting possessions and playing at a glacial. It's about defending through every shot clock. And playing offense through every shot clock. So you're making them defend deep into a shot clock, which will tire them out. But you're also making them have to execute to get a shot off on their offensive side, too. And that wears teams down. And the style that they play doesn't necessarily always lend itself to really mentally tough teams, you know, uh, especially athletes, too. So it, it will be interesting to see what Cronin comes comes out with, but I think we're right. Beat them up. I think uh, beat, I, I beat, beat them, them up. up for deep into the shot clock on both on both sides of the court. Got to beat them up. I, I would. I, I think some of that like not full court pressure, but kind of full court pressure, just to make them eat up some shot clock in their own backcourt. I mean, I know it's a high tempo team, but just to make them that much more tired, like just have Tiger Campbell just start his defense at their free throw line every time just to make that point guard tired. Yeah. Um, just do stuff like that. That just is a little bit disruptive that just exhausts them a little bit more, maybe a little bit more mentally. Um, and I think that's your best shot. Beat them up yeah. make them tired. Okay. All right. Let's do that. Let's, let's Great. go do that. We will okay. spend the week beating them up and getting them tired. <laughs> All right. Uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. (laughs) Be safe out there, everyone.